Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. Motley Fool Money. Stock of the Week. G'day Fools, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fools Chief Investment Officer here in Australia and welcome to another episode of Motley Fool Stock of the Week. The episode we bring you as part of the Motley Fool Money podcast and on our YouTube channel. Just simply go to YouTube and look for the Motley Fool Australia. You'll find us and you'll find our Stock of the Week video. Now, if you're already there, you know that. If you're not, maybe give it a go. Without further ado, I'm joined by analyst extraordinaire at the Motley Fool, Ed Vesely. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad, Scott. Thanks for having me again. Pleasure, mate. Thank you for rejoining us. You are one of the crowd favourites, mate. So thank you for making some more time for us for this week's Stock of the Week. Now, I'm going to get you to cool your jets just for a second while I do the usual preamble, the important but usual preamble. Three things. First is, we're going to give you general advice, not personal advice. We can't tell you what you should do. We can only tell you what we think, and then you have to work out whether that's right for your situation. That's the difference between general advice and personal advice. The latter requiring a whole big consultation, face-to-face meetings, all sorts of good stuff. We don't do that. We do general advice. So we will tell you a stock we think is worth buying. You need to decide for yourself whether it's right for you. Second piece of advice is we will give you a buy recommendation on this stock, but we are long-term investors. We don't know what's going to happen. Don't even pretend to know what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, next month, or next year. We are looking out three to five years, maybe even longer with this buy recommendation. So don't come back to us. There's one lovely listener or viewer did and said, oh, guy, you're wrong so far, guys. And I looked at the data. It was about two months ago. We don't know what's going to happen in two months. I'd love to think all of our stocks go straight up as soon as we recommend them, but that doesn't happen, unfortunately. We don't have those superpowers. So bear that in mind. Third one is we need you to know that we can change our minds. We will change our minds if the circumstances change. We're recording this in the middle of October 2021. Of course, what happens from here, we don't know. We don't know what tomorrow brings or next week or next month, and we reserve the right to change our mind. So if you're watching this or listening to this any point after that, just make sure you remember that we did this a while ago and you need to make sure you know what's happened to the business since. But right now, right this minute, right this second, this is a buy recommendation. And the company's name, well, it's not really a name, it's an acronym. I always like the acronym stocks, Ed, because... Well, most people gloss over them, right? If you see, well, you know, XYZ Limited, people think, oh, I don't know what that does. It doesn't sound very sexy or exciting. I'm going to keep moving on. It can't be that good. That can be for the enterprising investor, the the person who's prepared to put the work in, the first clue there might be something under the hood. Sometimes, maybe most often, it's nothing. Sometimes it's something. And the three letters that matter today are S, D, and I for SDI Limited. And that's the company you have a buy recommendation on. And one you think is our stock of the week. So let's start from the top. Assume we know nothing about the company yet because I know almost nothing about it, a little bit, enough to converse about it, but not enough to know whether it's a buy or not. That's your job. SDI does what exactly? For sure. Look, it's a uh, company that I I like it because it focuses on its niche. It basically doesn't try to be everything to the world. It it focuses purely on uh, the manufacturing and uh, the distribution of dental equipment. And supplies, mm-hmm. so it's got that. So, what it That's tries to be is, yeah, it's a, it definitely is. It's it's a um, it's a supplier to the dental industry, not just here in Australia, but mm-hmm. uh, around the world. And it, it's a, a traditional uh, base, I guess, of products was amalgam, which um, is now a lot less these days. Its its focus um, more recently in the last few years has been dental aesthetics. Uh, that accounts for 45% of the total and what they try to do there is help dentists with, I guess, uh, helping their own patients with uh, the focusing on 
improvements to teeth and people's appearances, and that's a, a big thing. Um, there's equipment which it provides and also whitening products, and that's all it does, basically. All the manufacturing is done in Australia, and uh, what it does is uh, it exports around the world. It's got a number of distribution arrangements in other countries, which is fantastic. And, in fact, if you look at the Australian sales and exports from Australia, you're looking at only 34% or so of its total sales. So uh, it's been quite a success story because even though it's only a $120 million market cap, still quite a small company, relatively speaking, it has been around a long time. In fact, it was established back in 1972 and it became a listed company in 1985. So all that time, it's it's been focusing purely on, as I say, the supply of dental equipment to, to the dental industry. I like that, mate. Now, Amalgam, I'm thinking fillings, is that right, back in the old days? Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's funny, when, when we look at it, the uh, the sales of that have, um, in terms of the total, the sales of that have actually reduced quite a lot. But that's, uh, I, I guess there's not much focus on that anymore because they're, they're getting such good growth out of the other three, I guess, uh, sectors of their of their business. So, right. and that makes sense because if they, if they can obtain higher margins and and higher growth from, say, equipment sales or, as I say, uh, whitening products, then, then they'll do that. In fact, the R&D, the research and development that they continue with is focused on those areas. And I was also intrigued to read that I think it's in the next year or two that they'll have some sort of replacement for amalgams over time uh, in that right. next uh, 12 to 18 months or 24 months. So it'll be very interesting to see what that does for sales as well. Um, there's no getting around the fact that that's uh, still a product that's needed, but not only is it a supplier to the dental industry, it's focusing on that faster-growing segment of the dental industry. So it's it's um, it's uh, doing its best to to keep growth going. It, it's a fairly moderately growing company anyway. It doesn't mm-hmm. really shoot the lights out in, in the sense it's not going to be a high-flying software company or anything like that. But uh, it's actually one of the longest-standing recommendations on the dividend investor scorecard here at the Motley Fool. And uh, it was back in January 2018 when it was recommended. And mm-hmm. in that time, it's, it's, it's provided around 11.2 cents per share in, in uh, dividends, in plus franking. And uh, when I looked at the scorecard, uh, it's actually, I'm not saying that this is going to be a guarantee for the future, of course, but it's actually beaten the market by almost three times just in that uh, last almost four years or so. So it's a quite achiever. It's not a company that's really on the radar of too many uh, analysts <laughs> or, or brokers, but uh, it's it's something that uh, I think I've recommended once or twice as a best buy now in the last mm-hmm. three or so years. There's been a lot of other high-flying companies on the scorecard, but this one is, a, as I say, a quite achiever. It just continues doing what it's doing. It's focused, focused on its niche, and um, I think that will just continue. I think you could say that easily that the last five years – could well look like the next five years it'll just continue doing what it's doing and making incremental improvements to its operations and its profitability. I like that, mate. So this is a this is a you know people think niche, not very exciting, not very big opportunity. They think small. Why would you bother? And I've got to say, mate, there are very few people in the country get excited about dental products, but that's kind of the point, as you say that that is the opportunity. So let's move ourselves from what the company does. Let's go to the investment case. You've already mentioned that the shares are up a lot, which is fantastic. Three times the market's gain. It's Possibly a small company, you know, maybe maybe the best tires are behind it, maybe they're not. You don't think they are. So how does a small dental products company that trades for a, a market value of $120 million give us market-beating performance from here? Why are you excited about this for the future, mate? 
Well, I like it. Um, as I say, it's it's focused on a, a niche part of the the industry. It sticks to its knitting. Mm. Um, it's been able to, to maintain gross margins at above sixty percent for the last few years, and I just think that's due to a, com- a couple of things. Uh, first of all, you've got the fact that they have a commitment to research and development, so they're continually putting money towards making better products and hopefully selling those in, in global markets. But I was really pleased also to read, uh, especially in the last few years, that the, uh, the cost uh, the focus on cost control is, is uh, incredible. So with, with growing uh, revenue on the top line and growing profitability and a bottom line, you're, st- you're still seeing the cost in, sorry, the growth in costs uh, being a lot lower than that. So I think that again helps with margins, obviously. But I think it's just that ongoing focus. I don't think it's any one thing that they're doing in any one particular year. I just think it's they've got a pattern of, um, of, of how they operate this company and it's been successful for them in the last several decades. And I can see that uh, occurring or continuing in the, in the years ahead just with the aesthetics and whitening categories too, just, just for the fact that the, the company is focused on those areas. Uh, those uh, areas of the dental industry are growing at around 13%. Uh, per annum, and that's what they've actually achieved over the last five years. So that's a good thing. Uh, and also, too, the fact that it's not just focused on the Australian market, it's been able to export quite successfully. Now, I said earlier that uh, its Australian sales and its exports from Australia accounted for around 34% of its sales, but it's actually got, and this is, I think, the key to an investment in STI, it's, it's over many, many years, it's actually been able to establish and uh, develop relationships with other distributors around the world and at uh, last count it had around 800 or more than 800 distributors in various wow. markets so we, we we include south america in that we've of course got north america and we've got europe and europe uh, at the moment accounts for 34 percent of sales uh and as i say with that geographic diversity you've got the commitment to r d which uh, allows you to introduce maybe at least one to two, two new products each year to the market and i think uh, they're obviously continuing to to develop the the sales mix, which I think is uh, bodes well for future sales. Um, the other thing I think that's worth looking at too is that this is not a, I've mentioned it's profitable, but it's not a uh, highly geared company. It's got a good balance sheet. Now, as I say, it's a small company. It's got around $11 million in the bank, but it's got no debt. So it's a self-funder. Now, it does have around $10 million in unused bank facilities. I think that's prudent. I, I don't think uh, any company should not have the option of debt because there might be an opportunity to to develop particular products or even make a small acquisition if it uh, seemed like a good idea. But what we see is that it's got $11 million in bank, no debt, and it's been able to fund its growth. Now, I thought, okay, if that's the case, then surely they must be issuing a lot of shares maybe because that's how some companies work. They might have, like a growing company might have uh, not much in the way of debt because maybe they just don't have the maturity to go to the lenders to say, I mean, the, the business maturity I'm talking about, they might not, may not be able to convince lenders that they're good for, you know, tens of millions of dollars so that what they will do is they'll go to the market. And that's exactly why companies come to the market in the first place is that they can issue capital, uh, use that money then to grow the business. Uh, but look, in the case of SDI, I actually went right back to this one. Um, the the growth in the, in the share count, which I think is critical on a, to, to uh, evaluate a company on a per share basis. The share count uh, since uh, over the last 24 years uh, has grown by 1.8%. Now, that's not 1.8% per annum. That's growth of 1.8%. So that was uh, remarkable. And I hadn't actually even checked that uh, just uh, until just recently because it's something I like to look for in a lot of the companies on the dividend investor scorecard. But 
Uh, it's got 118.9 million shares in the, uh, and it's grown that from around 116 million back in the late 90s and uh, I think that's quite remarkable. So what that means is uh, potentially it won't be growing maybe as much as other companies who like to juice their balance sheets with more equity or debt. But this is a company I think that, as I say, sticks to its knitting. It's got a very conservative balance sheet. It's a company that would be well suited to a, a more conservative investor uh, and I might just add too that the, the dividend yield on the company at the moment is just over 3% and it's fully franked. So that's why it's been a recommendation uh, with the Dividend Investor Scorecard. And um, despite the fact that it's it's gone from around 46 cents in January of 2018 to a dollar today, I can't see why, I can't see any reason why this company and the company's share price could continue to grow over the, in the years ahead. So I'm very comfortable with this one as a recommendation, and uh, that's why I'm talking to you today about it, Scott. Very nice, mate. I like it. We this feels like the the tortoise to maybe the other companies' hairs, right? Just slowly and steadily getting the job done, incrementally, almost imperceptibly. But as you say, you look back, what shares almost or more than doubled over three years. Um, share counts hardly moved in in 25 years. It's a pretty impressive story, and. A reminder, I suppose, you don't have to buy the flashiest, most exciting, most go-go uh, hot stock in the world that the FOMO crowd can kind of do their own thing. You can do very, very nicely just buying good quality businesses, growing moderately but consistently over long periods of time. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, look, if I was owning this company outright, Scott, I'd be very happy with the way it's going. Um, look, just I should just point out the, the last year's results were remarkable, but I should compare those not to the 2020 results. The 21 results saw... Sales grow twenty one percent, which is fantastic. But yeah. the net profit was up one hundred and twelve percent to eight point nine million. But if we compare that to the FY nineteen results before the the impact of the pandemic, yeah. uh, those results are still up twenty two percent, and in fact are up fifty six percent on FY 18's results. So we're talking about an increase in the net profit every year. There's no share dilution, and so there's yeah. more to pay in terms of the dividend over time. And, of course, we're seeing a steadily appreciating share price as well. Of course, shares will share prices will move around, but I can't see any reason why this can't be just a steady compounder for years to come uh, the way it's going. It's conservatively, fi- it, yeah, it's very nicely financed. Um, I, I think it's got some good prospects. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Now, you say you can't see any reasons why it won't be, but there are reasons why it mightn't be. Those are the risks that we always include. Whenever we talk about a recommendation here at The Motley Fool, we always make sure we tell you about the risks as well as the potential upside because we want to make sure you're informed, whether it's to our members behind the paywall or occasionally in these Stock of the Week episodes where we get to share some to a wider audience. Before I do that, Ed, I'm going to do our usual social media ad. If you are already listening to the Motley Fool Money podcast, we very much appreciate it. And would you please look for The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, our second podcast, second ever podcast here at the Motley Fool Australia. Have a look for The Good Oil with Scott Phillips, interviews with some of the best and brightest business leaders, experts, entrepreneurs around the place. I recently spoke to Kate Morris from Adore Beauty within a really fantastic conversation. I was talking to Rosalind Kogan from Kogan. I own shares in Kogan for the record too. A couple of other experts in the past, Stephen Kukulis and Eliza Owen and Excuse me, plenty more to come down the pike as well. So please keep an eye out for that. If you are also on the podcast right now, check out Motley Fool on YouTube. Just simply go to YouTube and just type in The Motley Fool Australia in the YouTube search or simply type in youtube.com slash C for channel apparently, slash Fool AU, and that'll get you straight to our page. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you very much. 
I'm sorry, you got to look at me, but that's the price you got to pay. Uh, do check out the podcast for us as well. If you're on social media, we're all over the socials. Well, almost all of them. We're not yet on TikTok, but you never know. Strange things have happened. We are, though, on Facebook. If you look for The Motley Fool Australia, just facebook.com slash The Motley Fool Australia or facebook.com slash Scott Phillips Money. You can find us there on Twitter. If you go to at The Motley Fool AU or at TMF Scott P, that's my handle. And you can find the same on Instagram at The Motley Fool AU and at TMF Scott P. Eddie, you, you're on Twitter, are you? Do I remember that correctly? Uh, correct. Oh, no, I'm not on Twitter. Twitter. We'll get you there. We'll get you there eventually. Stand eventually, by. Let's just be announcement. Hopefully, coming soon. I'll twist Ed's arm behind the scenes, and we'll see what we can do. But yeah, if you want to follow us at the Motley Field, all the all across the board, you follow my account too if you want to. That's the ad out of the way, mate. As I say, it's an ad. Hopefully, also if look if you're here, if you're listening or watching this, you obviously care about what we think, what we have to offer. So our socials are a great place to follow us as well, mate. Let's go to the risks of an investment in SDI. Every yeah, company has risks, no matter sure. how good. The potential. What are some of the risks that investors should be aware of before they buy shares in SDI? Well, I think uh, with SDI, it's, it's managed to do this, uh, mitigate this risk quite nicely in the decades that have just passed. But the manufacturing for all of its products is in Victoria, in, in Australia. So it's in one geographical place. And uh, now we haven't been through a pandemic before. We've had to endure this for the last 18 months. And yeah. I sincerely hope that we can uh, get through this in the next six months or so. Um, mm. But if there was to be a continuing uh, disruption to uh, the cost of goods going into its products, so right. sourcing supplies uh, and just getting products to market with, with closed borders, it makes it harder. There's obviously fewer mm. uh, flights out in, in and out of the country. So just getting to markets overseas for exports is a problem. They, they mitigate that with, I, I suppose, inventory and other markets and they've got the, the, uh, the relationships there with distributors and so on. But Manufacturing is all in one place in Victoria in, in, in Australia. So that, I guess, is a risk. I, I suppose what they could consider longer term if they can get to a, a point of scale is that they might consider manufacturing in other countries where it makes sense to do so, depending on the, the costs of doing so in those, in those countries. Um, the other key risk that I've looked at is, is that um, the dental supplies market, as, as boring as it sounds, it's actually extremely lucrative and there's some, actually some strong competition from other companies overseas. Uh, but to date, that hasn't been a problem. They have a pretty good niche, as I say. I've mentioned that a few times, but they've actually got a following. They've got clients that have been buying from them for years and they've got some very steady relationships with with those distributors and other clients in other countries. So that's a really good thing as well. But it doesn't mean that... Uh, competition can't increase from here, especially for well-funded competitors with, with big balance sheets and a lot more firepower. So that's something that we have to consider. What it has to do there is just have to, it just has to continue its its efforts into research and development and uh, continuing to innovate. And I think they're doing that, but we just have to be cognizant of that risk. The, the, other, uh, the other thing to consider too is we're talking about the number of countries it, it exports to and, and, and sells into. Uh, We've got to just consider currency. So it's pretty much a global business these days. Uh, the company's operations in Brazil uh, were heavily impacted by that country's weakening currency in uh, the 2020 financial year. And that saw a uh, – when, when a currency declines, obviously if the Australian dollar increases relative to the Brazilian real, I think it's pronounced, mm. I think you're obviously going to see – you could see some demand maybe drop off or because of costs going up and so on in that local market. So that's just something we have to be aware of. I think uh, the market – the company, rather, is actually uh, pretty much managing that okay, but 
if we saw an extreme revaluation of the Australian dollar or other currencies, mm. it could be a problem. There's individual region risk. Uh, Brazil is another good example of that. They're having to, to reset that market and uh, I suppose try to, uh, what's the word, just trying to get that back to a, a base where it's performing. And just finally too, in terms of buying the shares, it's a smaller company. Uh, the share liquidity is uh, fairly fairly low. So if you're going to come in with a relatively large order, uh, what's large, maybe ten dollars or $20,000 maybe, uh, that could on some days move the market. So I think if you're just going to be buying shares, then you'd certainly just want to be setting a limit. Right now they're right on $1 per share. And I think if you were to do that, make a limit, order and just uh, be patient with the order, you'll be okay. But just uh, be cognizant of the fact that uh, there's a limited number of shares for sale at any one point in time. So, Scott, I think uh, they're, they're the main risks I see with SDI at this point. I like it, mate. I like it. Thank you for mentioning the limit order, Sue. We don't often have to talk about that, but it is important. Now, that dollar a share, of course, is on Tuesday the 12th of October when we're recording this. It'll go live on the 13th. So just be aware of that. We're not saying a dollar is the price you should pay or the limit you should set. We're just saying right now that's the that's the indicative price. It doesn't tend to move around all that much, does it, Ed? But um, if it was to move or, as you say, you could actually move the market yourself if you rush in with a buy or a sell order. Yeah. Maybe I can add to that, mate, too, that because of that limited liquidity, you need to think about the same thing on the way out. So it's you, know, you may find there are times when you can't sell your shares without moving the price meaningfully as well. If there's no buyers out there and you want to sell, um, there may be some restrictions there or limitations in terms of the price you can get. Not so you shouldn't do it, just to be mindful that it may be a longer-term exit than perhaps you might be used to if you're used to buying shares with lots and lots of liquidity. And when we say liquidity, we mean number of shares traded per day. So if you're buying or selling shares in Telstra or BHP or Woolies, you can almost always find a buyer for a cent higher or lower than the last traded price. Some of these smaller companies, you either may not have any buyers or sellers at all, or if they are there, they may be a big gap between the last price and the price you want or the price someone else is prepared to offer. So just, just be aware of that um, when you're making those trades and just realise that if you do buy shares in SDI, and we should, don't think this should discourage you, by the way, as long as you realise it may just take a little bit of extra time to get the price you want, or you may have to take a little bit of a haircut, only a couple of cents, a little bit of a haircut if you want to get out in a hurry. Is that fair to say, mate? I think so. I couldn't uh, yeah, agree more with that. Just got to be careful about your entry. But again, take a long-term view and I think you'll be fine. Yeah. Mate, if you, you bought you bought for 46 or 47 or 48 or 49, you're still pretty happy at a buck. So I think that maybe the long-term story has already been demonstrated beautifully by your recommendation. So thank you and well done. And all it remains for us to do is sum up the case, our patented 60-second elevator pitch. Well, maybe not patented. Let's wrap it up with the foolish bottom line, mate. In 60 seconds, give or take. 60 seconds. Give us the the pitch. Why should our viewers and listeners buy shares in SDI? Okay. Well, SDI has a demonstrated uh, way of succeeding. It's it's actually been operating the business for now a number of decades. It's hardly put a foot wrong over those years. It's a slow grower, but nevertheless, he's still being able to, to beat the market. So we like the fact that it's focused on its niche and doesn't try to expand into product areas that are potentially foreign to it. Uh, SDI has a very clean balance sheet and, very importantly, a commitment to research and development, which it does from its cash flow, which we like. Uh, Something I didn't mention, though, it has high levels of ownership by the founder and chairman, and that's why the focus on costs is so high. The founder wants to see his um, net worth grow as well, so the best way to do that is, is to try to grow the top line and margins by keeping costs low. And I mentioned also it has over 3% yield, if we turn that around and look at the valuation on its earnings, you're paying only 13 and a half times uh, last year's earnings. So I think that's a pretty good deal. 
Very good. There you have it. SDI is the name of the company. It's also the ASX ticker code, ASXSDI, brought to you by Ed Vesley, one of our gun analysts here at The Motley Fool. Mate, thank you for spending your time and sharing your expertise with our viewers and listeners. Thank you to you for spending some time with us, listening and watching this particular episode of Motley Fool Stock in the Week. We are back every Wednesday with another episode, but on both the podcast feed and the YouTube channel, there's a whole lot more besides. So again, just a reminder, if you're not yet, make sure you do subscribe to the YouTube channel, hit the notification bell, so you'll send a message every time we upload some new content. If you're watching on YouTube and you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, check out Motley Fool Money as well. Just drop that in your the search bar of your favorite podcast feed and it will find Motley Fool Money for you. But no further ado, until next week, on behalf of Ed, the Motley Fool team, and myself, Fool on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.